Paul's second journey, and he's substantially with a fellow named Silas, and Luke joined him somewhere, see that Asia bit that's red, somewhere to the left, Troas, I think, it's kind of blurry, probably just because it's so small, this is Troas here, so yeah, and that's where Luke um, joined the party um, on this, it's called Paul's second missionary journey. Um, so we've already talked about that in Acts, just kind of catching up. <laughs> but then they sailed. If you remember, it's kind of interesting how they wanted to go north um, from, from Asia towards this little lime green bit right there. I think you'd pronounce that Bithynia and, and Pontus. But instead, God said, no, you need to go east and enter Europe from Macedonia. And this is the, the gospel message being introduced to Europe for the first time as it goes into Macedonia from Turkey, modern-day Turkey, Asia, into Macedonia, which is, you know, north Greece today. Um, and we've already talked about all that. Um, I think what's significant to remind ourselves of is how literally God stopped them. I mean, he, Paul mentioned a couple of times that just, the Holy Spirit kept them from going a certain direction. And instead, to go east towards Macedonia. And then he even had a dream at night about a fella in Macedonia is crying out, please come and help us. And so you could see the spiritual needs over there. Um, and so this is Paul finally going as far east as, you know, modern day Greece, you know, south Europe, you know. So here we are going into Macedonia. And then now we are, we left off and we're going to stay all day today in Philippi, which is circled. So that's where we are today. We're in Philippi. Um, so next slide. And yes, um, just a reminder before we get into the problems of Philippi, is they met that uh, lady. Remember her name? Lydia? Remember that, Remember that lady, the, the seller of purple cloth? She was from um, Thyatira, I believe, originally. And then she went to Philippi and she for, for business. And Philippi, we were talked about, was quite a, it was considered the second Rome. It was a Roman um, um, colony. It was, um, it was um, a lively city. And so now these missionaries, Paul, Silas, um, possibly Timothy and Luke, are now here. Is it Timothy? Yeah, I think it's Timothy they're with as well. And they're, they're here in Philippi, um, and they met this lady named Lydia, and her and her whole household believed the message. They were baptized, um, and, and already we see the church, you know, have a really positive beginning, a real nice, exciting, positive beginning. But sometimes when things go well, and you get all excited, and this is wonderful, Satan usually kind of hangs about, and he eventually looms his ugly, dirty head and tries to rip off your joy, tries to trip up what God's doing. And, and then, you know, believe it or not, God's doing something in all of our lives. And, and, and the reality is we need to 
be aware of the fact that, that when God does do things in our lives, that Satan's going to want to trip us up. He's going to want to discourage us. And that's certainly what happens. And I think the more aggressive you are with your gospel witness, the more aggressive Satan will be against you. Certainly, that's what's happening here with Paul in, in the gang. That's their nickname, Paul and the gang. Uh, they're in Philippi. And obviously, you know, they, they had this wonderful um, encounter with Lydia, went to her house, baptized the whole household. Uh, already we see the beginning of a wonderful church in Philippi, which is a significant city in the Roman Empire, in the known world at the time. So then, then now continuing, this is after um, meeting Lydia, they're kind of living their life as normal in Philippi. Uh, and so in verse 16 of Acts 16, it says, once when we are going to the place of prayer. And that's what they do. That's their normal kind of thing. They go and they pray because you, you, you got you to gotta pray. Um, it, it's, it's their strength. It's their vision. It's their focus. It's, it's spiritual. It's, it's very, very important. And so they need to find a place to pray. And as we talked about last week, I believe, usually um, Paul, when he goes into, um, like, fishing in the later region, especially in Asia and, and of course, most certainly, you know, in Jerusalem and up way towards um, um, Syria and around, you're, you're more likely the towns he would go into would have um, a synagogue, which is a place where, where the Jews would go to worship. Uh, but there wasn't one. In fact, Philippi, they were actually trying to get rid of the Jews. They're trying to, they're already exiled in Rome. And so the, the, the Jewish influence in Philippi was very small. So small, there was no synagogue. There was no place to go for them to do their normal prayers and worship, which is what they want to do. So what do you do when that happens? You go anywhere you can. Just go anywhere you can. And so they, um, we already saw that they were, we were outside. They met outside by the, um, by, the, by the river or whatever it was last time. And it was, sounds quite pretty, you know, to, to be outside worshiping God. I mean, if, if there isn't there a church in Oregon that meets outside, their church actually is an outside amphitheater because they have nice weather. So why not? Why go inside and cover your head from the sun where you can go outside and enjoy it? And so that's what Paul and Silas did, you know, when they were in Philippi. They went outside and worshiped God, and it was something pretty fun. But on this, so here they are, though, they're, they're, they're journeying now to, or walking about to go to a place of prayer. And on their way to that place, they met, or were met, by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to her, or said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. All that moment, or at that moment, the spirit left her. So here we see a, a woman who was ill. She was possessed by this spirit. Now, when I first read this, I thought to my mind, gosh, Paul, why are you so upset? She's doing your job for you. I mean, she wasn't lying, was she? Look what she said. These men are servants of the Most High God. Check. Who are telling you the way to be saved. Check. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is this. It's not nice to be heckled. And the reality is, who is the spirit within her who's, first of all, torturing her? Because don't forget, she's being used. She's being exploited for profit. Okay? And that's not good. 
And Paul, I think it's right for her, for him to, to heal her, you know, from this spirit that's ultimately leading her to being exploited by these fellows. And yeah, she was heckling Paul, and it's never nice to be heckled, unless you're at a punk concert, then it's expected. And the thing is, he wasn't even preaching in the market. He was just passing by. So if anything, again, this is kind of an interesting situation. He was just going to go to prayer. He wasn't even preaching. But she knew, because of the spirit, that he had a message. Um, and what she's saying was true, like I said, you know, but, but being heckled, heckled is annoying. And Paul did the right thing by healing her, because ultimately she needed to be healed. Okay, but let's look at the fallout. Let's look at the result. I'm sure she was happy to be healed. Um, maybe not. I don't know. I, I wouldn't want a spirit in me torturing me. And, but, but look who's upset about this. It doesn't say that she was upset. It doesn't say she was happy. So we don't know how she felt about being healed. But we do know that someone was upset about it. And it's funny to see who was upset about it. It's telling of the human condition. In verse 19, when her owners... And her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone. <laughs> you know, so much for caring for a person's soul and well-being, you know. And that is telling of the human nature, how much people can use other people and how much humanity we're prone to use other people, you know, to, for our own gain, our own profit. And that's certainly what happened to this poor lady, you know. She um, wasn't, yeah, she was appreciated by her owners because they made money off of her. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Again, because she was a slave, she was owned, her opinion, her feelings didn't matter. So, you know, in today's culture, you know, we'd consult the servant. Are you okay that you're healed and you no longer have these powers? You know, they, they, they don't do that then because they thought about themselves. Wait, how are we going to make money now? We we're making some good money off of this, exploiting this lady. But now that she, he's healed... You know, I, I can see someone raise the hand, but let's go ask her how she feels about it. Maybe she's, 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 she's happy. Maybe her life is better now. Ah, forget that. We're not making our money. So let's take Paul and take Clytus and go beat them up and throw them in jail. And that's exactly what they did in verse 20. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews, which is true, but it's half truth. And we'll see why in a moment. Because we'll forget, or he said there's animosity here. With, in Philippi, in the Roman colonies. Rome already trying to get, they're exporting the, the Jews. Get, go away. Exiling, rather, is probably the best word to use. Go away. And so here that add to, ah, their problems. Send them back to the, send them back to Palestine where they can have their trouble. We don't want that trouble here. So they played on the fact that they're culturally Jewish, which is only partially true, as we'll see in a moment. And are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, I wondered why they said that. Is that just a lie? Because they weren't saying or advocating anything. And at this point, it wasn't decreed that, you know, Christianity was illegal. The only thing is, is unless they're saying to the people that, you know, worship of the emperor. Because we know emperor worship was, was rife. But again, he didn't say explicitly any of these things. These were just trumped up charges, ultimately. So the crowd, they joined in the attack, the mob mentality. You got to love it. Attacked against Paul and Silas and the magistrates. Again, what did Paul and Silas do to the crowd? Okay, 
Now, understanding these corrupt owners of the slave who is making them profit, I can kind of see why they're upset. But crowd mentality is bizarre to me. Crowd mentality. People are just willing to just go anywhere. They're just lemmings. You know, lemmings, they just follow each other off the cliffs to their death. I mean, what, why are they mad? What did Paul and Silas do to the crowd? They were literally walking through the marketplace. Maybe they disrupted their peace by healing a lady from a, from a spirit that possessed her. Again, crowd mentality is a dangerous thing, guys. So the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. We'll find out in a moment was illegal. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. <coughs> Excuse me. Next slide, please. So at this point, I wonder, because I, I can't help, when I read stories like this, I can't help but put myself in, in, in Paul's shoes, in Silas's shoes. And I, and I like to sympathize and empathize. I try to think, how would I respond? How would I feel about being in this position? And the reality is, I'd probably be upset. I probably would be angry and frustrated. Uh, and I wonder if they deal with those emotions. You know, why, God? I mean, we're here serving you. Things seem to be going all right. We literally were just walking to go pray. We want to go spend time with you, God. And now, because this lady we saw, well, first of all, she was irritating Paul. Paul, why are you so easily irritated? Anyways, she was irritating Paul. Paul healed her, which seems like a right thing, but now we're in jail because of it. What's up with that, God? Right? I mean, come on. But, our, but is there a greater purpose? Is there a greater th- thing going on that we can't see that God's fully aware of? And that's why I asked the question, are the chains worth it? And I think Paul would answer this question by saying, yeah, the chains are worth it in light of God's greater plan and vision. Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. And just notice, okay, first of all, this is Paul writing. And who's he writing to? The church that he's establishing right here and right now. Right there. That's what he's doing in Philippi. He's establishing this church that he's going to write a letter to later on. So think about that. That's profound. That's significant. That the work he's doing lasted it was significant. It was important. God wanted him there. He called him there. He needed him there. He's there even amongst the chains and the trials and the beatings, which Paul had plenty of. So here he is. He's writing to the people that he's suffering for right now. And he says this to them and about them. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. So is he satisfied? Is he happy? Is he fulfilled with his work in Philippi? Well, he thanks his God every time he thinks about them. So I would say certainly it's worth it. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. He has joy. He prays with joy. It's believed that when he wrote this book in Philippi, he was probably locked up in, in a Roman prison. So he's very familiar with being locked up in prison, being in chains. But still he finds joy in the work that he was able to do when he was free. He has joy. He thanks God because of what happened in Philippi. Not just the trouble, but the whole totality of everything. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is really comforting as well, because Paul also realizes that he doesn't, he's not necessary. He's not needed there in Philippi. It's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's okay. Guys, you're going to be fine. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. God's going to con- continue the work. He's going to carry on with you guys until the day of completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. So is it right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart? And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So he sees them as a part of the team. We're a team. We're a family. And so, you know what? We, the work that we started there for me and Paul, or me and Silas and Timothy and, and Luke all those years ago when we first entered Macedonia for the first time, first came into Europe, first went into Philippi, all that... Even the, the hassle we had was worth it because, look, we're a part of the team. We're a part of the family. And, I, and he's confident that that work's going to keep going on. Even if he never sees daylight ever again, he's, he's cool with it because he realizes the work he did in Philippi, not just that, the work he did in Galatia, the work he did in all over the known world, Rome itself, everywhere. He, he realizes it's gonna, it's, it's, God's going to continue the work. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Again, he sees his persecution, the chains, if you will. Okay? He sees this as a means to the end. The ends is God's will, ultimately, right? But the means is how God decides to do it. And if he decides to use chains, Paul says, that's fine. You know what? I was bold. I did what I was supposed to do. And now I'm locked up for it. God's not done with me because I'm still alive. <laughs> so whatever happens, happens. But ultimately, it's, it's to serve that end, which is God's kingdom. And a big part of God's kingdom is, is the preaching of the gospel. Advancing the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, this is where we're going to start getting to the theme for this morning. The theme for this morning is when we go through trials... How we respond to it is going to be noticed by other people. And it can impact their life in a very significant way. Okay? Think about that. People are watching Paul. Even these guards, the whole palace guard, and everyone else that sees him in chains. And because of my chains, most of the brothers have become confident. So people who don't know about God are going to see how you react. Brothers and sisters are going to see how you react. And they can become confident. In the Lord, because of the way we act as we handle our conductors, our behavior ourselves as we go through various trials. And that really is the theme of this morning's Bible study. Next slide, please. So during trials, you have options. And by options, I mean you have to decide how you're going to respond. And the way you respond will be noticed by other people. Acts 16.25 says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Praying. You know, the, the word, um, that's a big word. Compound words, gotta love them. It means we're praying. It's the action, the active, present tense, verb, action, word, doing this thing called praying. They're doing it. They're in the midst of it to pray to God, supplicate, worship. So the idea of praying and worship is kind of hand in hand. Pray earnestly 
four, make prayer. Okay, we got it. So they're praying. So they were in trouble. What do they decide to do? Let's earnestly pray. Let's continue the act of prayer. And singing songs. They're singing hymns to God. Praises. That's what that word means, hymns. The praises. God, you're so good. Imagine the other prisoners. Now, bear in mind, we're talking about influencing other people during trials. They themselves, I don't think they're trying to impress anyone, by the way, guys. They're not trying to impress anyone. They're doing what's right for their soul. Okay? God, we're, we're, we're locked up. We just got beaten when we're hurt. Our, we're bleeding. We're sore. We have, they actually have wounds, as we'll see in a moment. That's how badly they're beaten up here, guys. And what they decided to do, they decided to pray and sing out songs to Jesus. Sing about God's goodness. Imagine the other prisoners. Oh, those guys, they're in the wrong jail. They should go, they need to go to the mental state hospital down the road because these guys are loony, toonies. So the other prisoners, as I'm indicating here, were listening. They're in trouble. They're, they're having this trial. They're, they're beaten, they're hurt, they're scared, they're cold, they're locked up. How they respond is being noticed by the other prisoners. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake at the foundation. Of the, now, yeah, this is a miracle, and this is wonderful. And I'm not going to emphasize the miracle and the wonder, because we all know that God does miracles. We don't need to analyze miracles, because miracles are unanalyzable. We can appreciate them, but they're unique, because they're miracles. So however God wants to conduct himself in our natural world, we need to be open to. So that's the bottom line. However, we need to be open to the fact that God does interact in our natural world. And that's why we should be praying and earnestly, and that's why we should continue the attitude in the heart in the practice of worship, praising him. So it's the miracles I'm not bothered with, because we know God does miracles. What I'm interested more in is how people respond to, our, to us as we respond to our circumstances. At once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prisoner's doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Um, it's a well-known fact that the jailer is responsible for his prisoners. And if they escaped, he has to take on their sentence. So that's why he was going to kill himself. Might as well just get over with. Okay? But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. See, there's no need to harm yourself, Mr. Jailer, because you're not in trouble. No. When I first read this, that's why I highlighted it. We are all here. Now, who is we? Is this Paul and Silas? Because when it says here earlier that the jailer woke up, he saw the prison doors open. Um, earlier, it says that um, such an earthquake, the foundation of the prison was shaken at once. All, pri- all the prison doors flew open. Okay, all the prison doors open, and everyone's chains came loose. You see how that correlates to the word all? So is this just talking about Paul and Silas, or is it talking about all the prisoners? Now, think about it. What's the normal thing? If you're, okay, you're not going to be in prison, I know, but imagine a scene where you have prisoners, okay, generally bad-behaved people who got done for doing crimes. Okay, Think of Shaw's prison, for, for instance. What happened if all the doors flung open on the prison? You think the prisoners would be hanging about, drinking tea and analyzing the situation? Or you think they're going to be running for it? 
well, they're pretty cozy there, so maybe they want to stay there because then they think, well, I don't know, it's kind of cold and wet outside. Okay, I'm joking. The reality is prisoners, the type of people prisoners are, are chancers. If, if there's a chance to escape, they're going to escape, right? Why do they not escape? Is it because they were influenced by Paul and Silas in the way they handled their circumstance? I think so. We're all here. I think this is not just speaking of Paul and Silas. Because, now, if all the prisoners escaped except for Paul and Silas, then the response for Paul and Silas would have been this. Yeah, you better kill yourself because your prisoners are escaped. But no, he says don't kill yourself because you have nothing to worry about because none of your prisoners escaped. Think about that. That's pretty profound, isn't it? So the, and this, of course, changed the jailer's life. See that? How they respond to the circumstance, the trial, changed the life of prisoners, in my opinion, obviously. That's what I think because that's what I'm preaching. And the whole situation influenced and changed the jailer's life. And not just the jailer's life, but the life of his whole household. Let's continue reading. Jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling. Why? Because this is a freaky thing. And you should be trembling. Because it's not normal. Prisoners are chancers. You give them a chance to escape, you expect them to escape. But they didn't. They're all there, just probably worshiping God still. And they're sitting there before Paul and Silas. He, he then brought them out and asked, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Good question. It's funny how people kind of knew what Paul and Barnabas were all about. The lady, she knew it without him them speaking. The jailer, he knew what they're all about. Without even, so they're just like, okay, that's it. I'm convinced. Your God's real. I want saved. And that's the effect we have on people when we submit to God. Next slide, please. So they replied, this is Paul and, and Silas speaking here, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. I love how simple that message is. We complicate it as people. A lot of times it's because of our stubborn pride. But it's really as simple as that. The, the jailer needed to get to the end of himself. He was freaked out. He was scared. He, as far as he's concerned, his life was over. But then he was saved. Was, Don't do that. You're fine. You're, you're in good shape. His life now has changed radically. I want to be fully into God. I want to be fully into Christ. Well, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You and your household. Again, I believe this speaks not just of a magic saving of his household, but I think this is, talks about the influence that we have on each other and it's a, the part of culture. In a, in, a, in a culture rich with Christianity and, and rich with God's presence is a culture that is, can, and will be saved. So then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Again, because of the influence we have for each other, it could work for the good and it could work for the bad. Here we see how wonderful this turned out because of the faithfulness of Paul and Silas, even through difficult circumstances. But the opposite can happen, and we need to be aware of that as well, guys. The, the Greek poet Menander, I'm sure I'm not saying that right because it's a Greek word, that sounds more like a Mexican word, Mexican last name, Menander, hey Menander. But anyways, I'm just going to call him Menander. He said this, this is what the Greek poet said, bad company corrupts good character. 
you heard that phrase before. It's an old Greek phrase, BC 300, I think. Well, we'll see him in a second. Now, Paul used this concept in, in his writings to the church in Corinth. Okay, I constantly need correction. We constantly need to be reminded about morality. The first wording he gave to the church in Corinth was about compromised morality in 1 Corinthians 6.9. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Again, influence. Wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. They do not go that way. Those practices don't fit into these, this system called God's kingdom. Be careful. Be careful what? Of influence. You can influence and you can be influenced by others, both for good and for bad. Here we see the jailer influenced positively. We see the prisoners influenced positively because of Paul and Silas. But there's also the, the, opposite, the, the possibility of the opposite happening. That's why Paul warned the church, do not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And later on he says the second warning to the church in Corinth about adhering to teachings that are supposed to compromise morality. In 1 Corinthians 15, 34 it says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts. Wait, where remember that from? Oh, he's borrowing that from pop culture. He's watching Pop Idol and he heard Mendander say this. And so he's using it in a sermon. Good on you, Paul. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sitting for there are some who are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought. Stop sinning for there are some who are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. So people who are actually hanging about, who are professing to be of God, who actually didn't even know God. Influence. We can influence others for good and bad, and we can be influenced by others for good and bad. Be mindful of that. Interesting, though, bad company, crypto or moral. This is a side note. I think it's an interesting side note. Next slide. Again, it's Menander guy. I want to look at him for a second. It's a nice sculpture of him right there. Engaging with pop culture. This is a side note. This is interesting because I noticed how Paul engaged with, with pop culture. And sometimes we do as well. And I think it's all right. Menander is a dramatist. He was a Greek dramatist and the best known representative of um, Athenian new comedy. And I like comedy. He was born well before Christ in 342 to 200. He was born then he died in 291 BC. Born in Athens, Greece. And his work is survived today mostly by fragments. Uh, there, I think there's one complete work available that they've re recovered. But a lot of the stuff that they've recovered has been um, just fragments of his work. But here's some of his quotes. This is just interesting. I think it's very interesting, guys. Okay, so we know that good company corrupts, or what does it say the last one? That was, yeah, bad company corrupts good character. Paul liked that. But look at some of these other things that, 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 that the Christians, Paul, and even Peter, used pop culture idioms and ideas and concepts to, to bring glory to God. Whom the gods love dies young. That's what he said. And, and, I, and I compared that to the, to the idea of the good die young. Right? The good die young. Whom God loves dies young. The, the man who runs may fight again. That's very similar to the contemporary idea of you can't run from your problems. And this is interesting. Riches cover a multitude of woes. Riches. Now, that's not true. But I guess there's some materialistic truth to it. But it's funny because Peter used this um, in the Bible. In, in 
the concept, but he, I think he fulfills it. I think he completes a lot more smooth, a lot more beneficial. Love covers a multitude of sin. That's Peter, First Peter, I didn't put that, First Peter 4, 8. And then, oh, and he also is the one who said, um, I call a fig a fig and a spade a spade. Don't need to, you guys are all familiar with that phrase, right? Interesting how that pop culture, even in, in, in ancient Greece, influenced even still us today. But next slide, please. And we're going to finish with this right here. So this is the morning after, the day after, Acts 16.35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. I would say, I would go, I would kind of want to go as bold as say that the influence that Paul and Silas had on the prisoners, on the jailer, extend to the magistrates, but I'm not going to be that optimistic. I think they're just trying to cover themselves now. They're like freaking out. Okay, get your circus out of, the, out of Philippi. That's what they want to do. They wanted to stop, basically, and thwart. If God wanted them in Philippi, they need to stay in Philippi. But they want to get rid of them because they didn't like their presence. And there's this crazy, freaky, supernatural earthquakes and prisoners being released. They don't like it. So just go. Take your freak show somewhere else. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly. And this is where the magistrates went wrong. And how, they, how what they did was illegal. They beat us publicly without a trial. It's important, the, 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 this fact that they didn't have a trial, even though we were Roman citizens. And this also just kind of shows the, um, the racism of the time as well. It's okay to beat a Jew without a trial, but you can't beat a Roman citizen without a trial. That's basically what this is saying. Um, and it was the case. And the magistrates knew that, that they were wrong for doing so. And they freaked out here. Uh, so I think it's wrong that that's the case. I think everyone should be <laughs> deserving of a free trial. However, um, they didn't even bother asking. They didn't bother checking whether or not, they just assumed the Paul and Silas because they looked like Jews, that they were Jews. Not realizing that they were both Roman citizens. So they're both Roman citizens, threw into prison, and without trial, and now they want to get rid of us quietly? Shame on you guys. No, let them come themselves and escort us out. So the officers reported to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escort them from the prison, <coughs> requesting them. So they themselves came, escorting them from the prison, begging them literally here to leave the city. So I highlighted and I also bolded the emphasis, leave, get rid of them, leave the city. They, they were afraid of the influence that Paul and Silas had on the, on, on the city. So after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they didn't leave. They went to Lydia's house. She lived in Philippi, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. But then they eventually left. But they didn't leave with the work Uncompleted. God continues work. The next last slide. Um, and we'll leave with this slide here anyways. Paul and Silas, they may have eventually left. You know, they eventually did leave Philippi. But the work, it continued. And it spread out. Now this is a picture of a possibly, possibly the, the, the house that Lydia owned. That turned into a church later on. The house church that Lydia's small little estate 
there in Philippi. Uh, there were other churches, other significant meeting places. Uh, but whether or not this is true or not, I don't know. But it's a nice picture of a lovely house, so I put it up there. So don't stop being an influence of God's kingdom, because you never know what you're leaving behind. Say